Marini's Media. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. I'm Ali Maxwell. With me, George Ellick. We are delighted that you've joined us because, as ever, and I'm really starting to repeat myself week on week, it has <laughs> been a busy week in the EFL. A full slate of midweek action. We've got a weekend to look ahead to as well. George Ellick, what's in store for the listeners on this episode? Yeah, we're going to forgive you if you don't know what happened in the EFL this midweek. No judgments here, but we are here to let you know a full round of fixtures in the Championship League 1 and League 2 and we're going to run through our player, manager and team of the week in all three. At the end of the show, we are going to be looking ahead to this weekend and our favourite fixtures, but right in the middle is a brilliant interview with Hull City's manager Grant McCann about what happened at the end of last season in the Championship, the summer of recruitment and now this brilliant star and a certain teen sensation Keen Lewis Potter. Let's kick off. Thanks for listening. This is the Totally Football League show. Extra time in association with Paddy Power. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. So this is the time of the week where we can reflect on what has been An incredibly busy midweek in the EFL. A full slate of fixtures in the Championship, League One and League Two. Ali and I are going to run through our team, player and manager of the week in all three to get you back up to date with what went on so far. So Ali, over to you first in the Championship. Who is your team of the week? We have given it to Rotherham United. Their first home league win over South Yorkshire rivals Sheffield Wednesday since 1976. Just hugely sad that their fans weren't there to celebrate that win over a rival and to see a phenomenal first half display. A a blitz, to be quite honest. At halftime, Sheffield Wednesday were reeling 3-0 down and down to 10 men as well. Rotherham hadn't won since opening day when they nicked a late one against Wickham. But in in four of those last six games without a win, they had the lead. They'd scored first and they'd played well for large stretches, especially in the first half of games. And I think we had both noticed how, you know, if you were watching the highlights of Rotherham games, it was properly like first four chances all to Rotherham, sometimes getting a goal. And then second half, just absolute siege with the opposition putting the pressure on. So we're kind of, you know, there's two conclusions here. Really impressed with the performance levels in the first half but disappointed that they can't seem to maintain it over 90 minutes and potentially lacking the the durability to close out those tight games. So on Wednesday night, it was a different story because the first half blitz was more than enough to pull clear uh, and and to sort of canter home as 3-0 winners. Job done in midweek, brilliant first half performance, gains them the, the team of the week. What else happened in the midweek in the championship, George? I want to know which player stood out to us, our player of the midweeks. For Wickham, A one-all draw at home to Watford was a big point. It was their first point of the season, but the performance itself meant that they were understandably coming away from it, feeling like they could have got all three. They were the better team against a Watford side that can, you know, had players such as Ismail Assange, Al Pedro, Etienne Capu, all starting. And there would be a case to be made that Ben Foster could be the player of the midweek, given the saves that he made to keep Wickham at bay. I'm not giving it to him, though. There are a number of players that we could give it to on the Wickham team. Adebayo Akinfenwa 
making, I think, his first start of the season provided a threat that Watford were quite clearly not used to facing and couldn't really contain him whilst he was on the pitch. Anthony Stewart scored the goal, a very good header from a set piece. David Wheeler was always a threat on the left-hand side um, of a front three. Jack Grimmer, a right-back, was also very good. But the player that I'm, I'm giving it to is Joe Jacobson the playoff final hero for Wickham, a player whose set-piece delivery has always been something we have admired with that trusty left foot. We've often wondered, though, whether or not is he only there as a set-piece player? Is he actually any good at defending? Is he actually any good at football? And what we saw on 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 um, Tuesday night is that he, he certainly is. I mean, he came up against a side, you know, I've mentioned there on the right-hand side for Watford, you had Saar and, and Femenia. These are two players who should not be playing in the Championship admittedly for many got an assist for Saar but Jacobson wasn't at fault for the goal and he generally kept them pretty much at bay it was his corner who, that, that got the uh, the assist for Stewart's goal he very nearly got another assist as well with a, an injury time corner where it was disallowed for, for a foul on Foster some confusion maybe there amongst Wickham fans whether or not it was a foul I'm probably erring on the side that the referee got it right but it does feel like Wickham are on the receiving end of quite a few of these decisions but Jacobson was brilliant defensively um, just looking at kind of the best stats he made seven interceptions in the game which was a high in the, in the match quite clearly five clearances but also had by far and away the most touches for Wickham 71 touches always providing a threat down the left hand side getting balls into the box making life difficult for the Watford defenders and it often felt last season uh, in the in League One that when Jacobson was on form when he was the one creating chances when Wickham were able to get him on the ball in that left channel getting balls into the box especially with Akinfenwa up front to, to win them that's when they were at their best and maybe after understandably I mean I've personally probably still got them down as locks for relegation but it did feel like especially given the strength of opposition that if they can keep Akinfen were fit and if they can keep Jacobson in that kind of form then they're going to make life very very difficult for their opponents that hasn't necessarily been the case so far this season so a big point for Gareth Ainsworth Wickham a, a point that I think will give them belief uh, and certainly Jacobson was the was the key man for it. Manager of the midweek in the championship, how could it not be Velko Paunovic, the man making a mockery of the division that's meant to be the most competitive league in the world. Reading picked up a 4-2 win over Blackburn on Tuesday night to move to 22 points from eight league games, six points clear of second, seven points clear of third at this early stage. It could barely have gone better. And well, what am I going to credit Paunovic with? Uh, it'd be easier to say what not to credit him with, but let's start with the positives. Uh, defensive structure, 10 out of 10. Uh, Reading have faced the third fewest shots on target in the league this season uh, and the second lowest expected goals against number. It's probably even more impressive when you consider that this is a team that has spent the majority of its time with the opposition trying to get back in the game. George, you often talk about how game state can really affect the underlying numbers and the shot stats, especially at this early stage in the season. And Reading have spent so much time ahead with teams trying to chase the games that actually... It's all, yeah, them having the third fewest shots on target faced and the second lowest XG against is almost more impressive uh, than, than those numbers suggest in and of themselves. It's not just the, the goalkeeper, Raphael, and the back four, but also Rinomota and Laurent in the double pivot are playing fantastically well. And Reading's defensive shape is just very notable. Also, this is a huge success of man management early in his reign from, from Paunovic. It, it sounds simple, doesn't it? But 
playing players in the right roles, um, fitting players together on the pitch, uh, making combinations and, and building relationships between players to thrive and motivating them to perform well as well. I'm not going to praise his attacking setup too much. Now, it might develop, it might improve, but it doesn't really need to at the moment. They've taken the fewest shots in the division, Reading. The fewest shots inside the box as well. So it's amazing that they've got 22 points from eight games. A lot will be down to game state. As a What you can say with Paunovic is that this is a team that is highly motivated and very well set up and coached. You can tell that by how well they see out games when they're ahead. They've taken the lead seven times in eight games and they've seen all of those leads out comfortably. Uh, and for that and so much more this season, Paunovic gets the manager of the midweek for us, Reading going great guns at the top of the championship. George, in, in League One, where will we start? What's the first award from the midweek in League One? This week, it was a bit different where I seemed to manage to really rile a, a group of supporters by telling them that they're actually quite good, um, <laughs> which which was new ground for me, um, I must say. And I, and I was pretty relieved to see Portsmouth justifying my praise midweek with a thumping 4-0 win at Fratton Park at home to, to Northampton. I think that the key is here, Kenny Jacket is not very popular with Pompey fans and football fans are pretty wedded to their views. I think things went so far with Jacket that um, he can't really win now and, and any success that he has, from a, from a, I'm not saying all of them, from a select few, he'll never be given the credit for. One um, fan even tweeted me saying, you know, finally he's worked out how, how to play and we're winning games easily. I was like, well, I mean, you have scored the most goals in League One in the last calendar year and you've got the most points comfortably. So it's not like this has just suddenly happened. But anyway, I digress. They were they were superb on Tuesday night. And I think the scary thing for the rest of League One is that often we've seen this Pompey side play well and not get the results their performances deserve. But suddenly the you know, the team that Jacket seems to have found means that there is a front four of Ryan Williams, John Marquis, Marcus Harness and Ronan Curtis. The, the issue he's had in the past year or so has been working out a way of how to fit three of those players into, an, into a, a functioning side. It turns out he could just play all of them. Playing Harness and Marquis as the front two with Curtis off the left and Williams off the right with Naylor and Cannon playing as two midfielders who have a lot to do seems to give them the attacking thrust that means they're able to dominate sides and score goals. Admittedly, they came up against a Northampton side who uh, are, are probably amongst one of the weakest teams in the division, although coming into this one on the back of a decent 2-1 win. Um, but you have to say this was so impressive from a Pompey side who last time we saw them were beating Sunderland 3-1 at the Stadium of Light. It just feels like they're now going through the motions and the, the kind of good run of form that their performances deserved is now here. Um, I, I would be, I mean, as, as a fan of a League One club who at least used to have aspirations of going up this season, um, I'd be pretty concerned about what I'm seeing from, from Portsmouth now because even if the fans don't necessarily want to see it, this is a side really clicking into gear who have individually some of the best players in the league who are now really firing and, and finding the back of the net as well. And Marquis is a player who, you know, he was brought in to be a prolific goal scorer at Fratton Park. It hadn't happened for him yet, but it feels like this system they've now found, it feels like having Harness as kind of a decoy to play alongside as well is is the key to getting the best out of him. So I'm impressed with Jacket. I apologise to any Pompey fans that are upset by saying this, but I think you're very good. <laughs> right, and this weekend they come up against Charlton. That's going to be a fascinating fixture. And it's a good segue as well, because my 
player of the week or player of the midweek, I should say, is Andrew Shinney of Charlton. Shinniester, as the as the Luton fans uh, used to call him. And actually, he's probably more of a goal threat than Andres Shinniester. That, of course, was the, the one big flaw in, in the, the magnificent Spaniards game. Uh, Shinniester with a goal and an assist in a 2-0 win against Oxford. The assist argued more impressive than the goal, which sounds like a strange thing to say. The, the goal was a 25-yard free kick, which sounds pretty good to me, but uh, you would have said that Eastwood, the goalkeeper, could or should have done better to, to push it away. It was on his side, so to speak. The assist showed everything good about Andrew Shinney and why he's been such a good addition uh, to this Charlton side, having been picked up just before the transfer deadline. He found a bit of space in midfield. His first touch was excellent. He already he knew that Connor Washington was making a good run into space and he found him with great accuracy, Washington doing the rest. And like like so many of the players Charlton signed in the last month of the window, Shinny's hit the ground running and it's been huge for this Charlton side who, who have this wave of positivity now that things off the field seem to be sorted. And I say that, you know, with, with some caution, but seem to be sorted. They've won four games in a row without conceding and without necessarily feeling like they've hit top gear as well. Whether that's a good sign, you know, winning when you're not playing your best or a poor sign that you need to start playing a little bit better if you want to really challenge at the top of the table I'm, I'm not sure but they're doing very very well and look I'm not going to credit Shinny for the team keeping four clean sheets in a row that's not really his area of expertise but for what he's doing on the ball and for what he brings to this Charlton side uh, he gets a lot of credit brilliant in midweek find space in the middle of the pitch the technical quality is not up for debate debate his passing range and he's got the, the vision to go with it as well this is a player who's more than comfortable at league one level we saw that when he was a key man for Luton in their promotion just two seasons ago yeah, put some midfield ball winners around him put some attacking players with good movement in front of him uh, and Shiniesta will, will do the rest I think he's going to be a, a big player for a side that looks likely to challenge towards the top end of the table whether that's an automatic promotion tilt or a playoff tilt I'm not 100% sure but it, it was a it's it was a great midweek for Charlton beating Oxford 2-0 uh, and it's been a good few weeks in general for them and Andrew Shinney our player of the midweek in League One which leaves the manager who is it? <laughs> it's amazing it's taken this long for him to get this accolade and we're only into the second week of doing this. Uh, it's it's Michael Appleton of Lincoln. And I think it's only fair because last week, it's unlike me to criticise Michael Appleton, but I kind of mentioned that, that it felt like Lincoln were maybe picking up results whilst not necessarily playing the kind of football that Appleton wanted to play. There was a reliance on penalties. I think it was four penalties in their last six games. And I just wasn't sure if they were maybe running kind of a little bit hot. But then this performance on Tuesday night against Crewe, winning 1-0 was so impressive. It was so professional. It was so controlled that I'm having just to eat my words and wonder why I ever doubted the great man. Hmm. Uh, they were very, very slick going forward. Um, Lewis Montsma hit the bar within a couple of minutes with what would have been the goal of the season, stepping out from centre-back and weighing it from about 25 yards. Um, but the, the thing that impressed me, I mean, the goal itself from Harry Anderson was a really nice finish, right-footed just on the edge of the box into the bottom left-hand corner. But it was the way that they saw the game out coming up against a side that we've seen cause teams so many problems in League One this season, especially with Pickering and Kirk down the left-hand side. But, but you know, they're a very adept attacking side, this uh, this crew side, now with Mikael Mandron playing, leading the line up top. But 
Lincoln weren't really troubled. They basically kept crew at arm's length. They sat on their lead for the majority. Uh, Tom Hopper hit the woodwork as well. And it just felt like a side who know what they're doing and know how to win games and are feeling confident rather than nervous given their lofty early positions. You, mean, you just mentioned there a side who in Charlton who we don't know, could they be promotion contenders? Could they be in the playoffs? And, and it's feeling pretty quickly like, you know, we have to start giving Lincoln some credit here for being in that same bracket, a team who we expected to be mid-table, nine games in, they've won seven, drawn one, lost just one, only conceding five goals. That's the same as Charlton, 22 points, top of the league. That is a very good start. I mean, if you, <laughs> that is a 10 out of 10 start for Appleton. And if anything, I would say the performances are getting more assured and even better. So credit to him, credit to Lincoln. They are certainly at the moment the team to catch in League One. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. On to League Two now and your team of the week. This was a pretty easy decision led by a man who we've maybe given a bit of stick as well in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> but, but we can't do so today. Well, last week, I don't know if it was giving him stick or not, but on this very podcast, we did we did mention John Yems's lively post-match interview from last midweek where he really did not enjoy the line of questioning from the local reporter and look he has tried to see the funny side he he attempted an apology uh, following the incident last week Uh, since then he's been cracking a few gags including his first answer to the question he was asked after Crawley's 4-0 win in midweek against Tranmere Gaffer, another 4 0 win here at the People's Pension Stadium. Your thoughts on today's game? What a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no it's, it's, it's good. It's, they deserved it. Worked hard. 4 0 up, we're still chasing it. Um, plenty of positives, things to work on as well on the training ground that we've got to improve. Um, no, and you just, keep, you just keep going, mate. The boys deserved everything tonight. I think I don't think there was anyone handed a match or anything special. So clearly no harm done from Yems' outburst last week and he's seeing the funny side and his players have responded to it, in, in fairness. They beat Tramere 4-0 uh, in midweek. And sadly, I'm just going to point out that the display from the Tranmere back line, especially in the first half, was absolutely horrendous. Uh, they had no answer to Crawley's passing and movement. But I don't want to take away from what was an eye-catching and impressive performance, certainly from the Crawley front line. They, they've got a lot of players, Crawley Town, young players mostly, who are um, fairly unproven, in some cases untested. And yet when they click and when they work together, you, you see a unit that looks quite dynamic, that, that attacks with great intent. They commit a lot of bodies forward. They pass and they move. And we saw 
in these four goals, some really unselfish attacking play. It was it was great to watch. And, and as I mentioned, Tramia really didn't have any answer to it. Uh, Watters and Tom Nichols up top, uh, Matthews and Hesketh, who are playing nominally on the flanks, but really seem to have license to drift all over. It's a really entertaining side to watch at the moment, Crawley. Now, that's partly because they do give up a lot of chances as well. Crawley have been a poor defensive side at this level for, for a few years now. And that hasn't changed this season, despite the clean sheet uh, against Tranmere. They are the neutral's choice, I'd say, to a certain extent, because their games are very entertaining and often high scoring. Uh, this is a team whose whose best performances, like we saw in midweek, can be excellent and more than good enough to, to thrash sides at this level, but who do chuck in too many poor showings. And maybe that's the, the subject of Yems's ire. He, he knows what this team can be, but he only seems to see that sort of one in every four or five games. So uh, a, a happy Yems, a happy Crawley side, a very entertaining performance on Tuesday night and a big win. Crawley Town, our team of the midweek in League Two. I'd like to know who the best player in the division was, George, on Tuesday night. Well, whether or not he was the best player in the division, given he only played 20 minutes, I'm not sure. But in terms of making the biggest impact and the story that goes behind it, we need to talk about Zach Durnley of Oldham. Um, I said a couple of weeks ago that Oldham were a one-man team. That one man was Conor McElhaney. Since I've said that, Durnley has scored four goals in four games, two of which were off the bench. You have a feeling he was probably a little bit disappointed to be dropped uh, to the bench for this away fixture at Route 2 all against Southend. But he came off it with uh, 20 minutes to go, the score at one all, and scored a brilliant late goal, kind of on the, on the counter-attack, beating a man, rounding the keeper, and keeping a very, very cool head to slot it into the back of the net to give Oldham a really important three points uh, against what looks like will be a relegation rival. That means he's scored eight goals in his 14 games league games for Oldham since signing in January. But his background story is really interesting. He came through at Manchester United. The players that he used to share the pitch with uh, include the likes of Tuan Zabi, Scott McTominay, Dean Henderson, and of course, man of the moment, both on and off the pitch, Marcus Rashford as well. So he's got that quality, that star quality. He had a loan spell at Oldham last year in 2019. And then after being released from Manchester United, actually ended up signing for Northwest Counties Football League Division 1 South side, so that, that's got North, West and South all in the same league name there. <laughs> and Football <laughs> Called, League, confusingly. Know, so that is North West Counties Football League Division 1 South. Unbelievable. I'd love to know what tier that is. He signed for New Mills, who played in that league. He played just one game against Ellesmere Rangers before then getting a move back into the EFL for Oldham Athletic. And I think that is a lovely story and sentiment to any pro footballers out there who you know, get released from their club and maybe think it's not going to happen for them. Because I'm sure when, when he signed the papers at New Mills, um, Durnley would have been, yeah, wouldn't have expected to be banging in goals in League Two just a few months later. But all credit to him. He is a player who, for Harry Kuehl, is going to be very important. It's good to see that Oldham have uh, spreading the goals around their team somewhat as well. And, and just the way that he's scoring uh, is really impressive. The goals that he's getting, he looks like a real talent. And at 22, given the calibre and the pedigree that he's got behind him with his uh, Manchester United background, you'd think he's going to continue improving pretty quickly. So a big winner for Oldham uh, and Dernley the man to thank for it. Manager of the week in League Two, it has to be David Dunn of Barrow. The yes. wheels are up for them 
lift off their first EFL win uh, in 48 years. And Lord knows they've been made to work for it. They've been made to wait, the fans, haven't they? Because five times this season, before the game on Tuesday night, Barrow had been ahead in a match and let that lead slip away. Five times they thought they had it. And they didn't. So a little like Rotherham that we spoke about at the top of this segment in the championship, we felt like the signs were that Barrow generally were a good side, were at least a mid-table side. And for the, for, for the majority of their games, they were, you know, they certainly weren't the relegation fodder that their points tally may be suggested. Um, and in this instance, at the very least against Mansfield, we were sort of proven right. A, a, again, they had really struggled with what I would call defensive slippage this season. You know, as I say, in, in general play, a good side and all the underlying data pointed to them being a, a good side as well. But but we're seen uh, at various different times, defensive slippage, just whether it's giving the ball away in the final third or just failing to mark your men, they've conceded some desperately disappointing goals. And, uh, and the best way to overcome defensive slippage, George, is to score four goals, uh, all of them very nicely taken uh, and make sure that the two that they did concede against Mansfield didn't matter so much. So, I mean, it's, it's obvious where they need to improve, but I'm, enjoy- I'm going to enjoy, I think, watching this Barrow side develop now that they've got over the line for that first win. Uh, Harrison Biggins, I thought, was exceptional in this game. He got a goal and an assist. He was involved in in everything good that, that Barrow did. And, you know, they've had a tough few weeks. David Dunn missed a few games as he was self-isolating. Um, as with every side at this level, it's, it's obviously not ideal conditions to start a season, but especially when you've been away from the EFL for 48 years and you really feel sorry for Barrow and their fans that they that they weren't there to see this win uh, against Mansfield, albeit it was a, away from home. Now, not to take anything away from Barrow's first EFL win in 48 years or to take the gloss off it, but they may have been fortunate to have been up against Mansfield in that guise because this is a Mansfield side who, following defeat in that game, are one of only three sides in the EFL not to win this season, the other two being Wickham Wanderers and Southend United. And sadly for Graham Coughlin, the manager, that was enough from the board's perspective. Coughlin was sacked not long after the final whistle in that game. Uh, George, another season where Mansfield had kind of lofty ambitions, I suppose, and, and whose owners showed a lot of ambition in the transfer market, certainly in the summer, not for the first time. And uh, winless in nine, it was not a surprise to see Coughlin lose his job in in, in that regard. No, um, he won just four out of his 27 games in charge, league games in charge. That is a record for, for a side who are so ambitious, who has spent so much money and who just, you know, 18 months ago were one of the best teams in the division with many of these players is just not good enough. And, and with Coughlin... You know, the job that he did at Bristol Rovers was always an intriguing one, getting them up towards the top end of League One, but never really winning many plaudits for the style of play, being pretty um, reliant on Johnson Clark Harris for, for goals. You know, I, I, as far as I remember, Bristol Rovers fans were, were pretty frustrated to see him dropping down a division, but were by no means lauding him as any kind of managerial genius. And when you have kind of a, a lack of of track record behind you and you have a go through a run like this, you're probably going to pay the price earlier than somebody who you can kind of expect to, to bounce back. Um, it, it's a tough one, I'm sure, for, for Graham Coughlin to take. Um, Mansfield will 
still hope that the season is young enough that they'll be able to recruit a manager to improve them. Um, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. They went in-house after replacing David Flickcroft with um, John Dempster. They then went up to League One and paid compensation for a manager from the league above and Graham Coughlin. There have been quite a lot of, of kind of social media posts from Mansfield fans just saying, bring David Flickcroft back. And even though I think at the time of his departure from Mansfield, you and I both kind of thought it was a good move, thought that he was maybe the thing holding them back. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, that opinion looks rather foolish now because they've really struggled since he left the club. And you feel like someone like him could come in, you know, somebody who with a track record of turning this Mansfield team into a decent side, given that everything at the club just feels very rotten at the moment, could be the way to go. There's obviously a manager in, in um, Graham Alexander as well, who's just left Salford, who I'm sure will be amongst the, the favourites to get the job. But it's just a big appointment, this. And if you're looking at jobs in League Two that are pretty attractive, I would still, despite their bad start, I'd still have Mansfield right up there in the top two or three, I think, because you know you're going to be supported by the boards. It's a very, very difficult league to get relegated from. So even though you're taking over at this stage, probably very little is expected of you this season. So I still anticipate that they'll be able to get a good manager in, but based on the last couple of appointments, whether I trust them to do that, I'm not necessarily so sure. It's a good time, in a weird way, for League Two clubs looking for managers. Sometimes when you look at a club who are in the market where there's a job vacancy and you look at the names being touted, it, it can feel a little underwhelming, both from, from our perspective, but also from a fan perspective. And actually, if you look at the names being linked to this job, and I'm setting aside the likes of Paul Cook and Danny Cowley, who are available, who are highly sought after, but I, I guess would be looking for a job in League One at the very least, both of them having managed uh, in the championship last season and having done pretty well in the championship last season. But even taking those out the way, you, you mentioned Graham Alexander. You've got Nigel Clough, who is sort of of that parish, if you will. He, he's obviously managed Burton and Derby and uh, and he's he's got links with Nottingham Forest uh, is based around that area. Um, then there's Keith Hill, of course, who, who had such a long spell with Rochdale. Paul Hurst uh, as well, who was with Scunthorpe last season, has had a lot of success uh, with Shrewsbury, notably in League One, and then a, a few tricky spells with Ipswich and Scunthorpe. Nigel Adkins is available if he fancies getting back into work, and, and Paul Tisdale as well, who's um, who's been out of a job since leaving MK Dons around this time last year. So plenty of names to uh, to sound out certainly and it'd be fascinating to see who they go with right that's been a whistle stop tour through the main talking points in the efl from the midweek action after the break it's a chat with hull city manager grant mccann before taking a look at the weekend preview Listeners, we're excited to tell you all about our new partnership with Packed Coffee. Packed source the best coffee from around the world and deliver it right to your door with free next day delivery via one of their flexible plans, which you can pause, cancel or change at any time. Packed Coffee is 100% speciality grade, freshly roasted and ground just moments before it's shipped. There are over 15 types of coffee to choose from and no matter which variety you choose, you can be safe in the knowledge that Pact buys direct from farmers, ensuring that they earn between 25 and 125% above normal fair trade rates. You can choose beans or pods, ground or whole bean, depending on how you brew and go on, have a sniff of that bourbon cream espresso from Brazil and Peru or get a taste of this Salomo from Ethiopia. Mmm, definitely hints of black cherry. 
because you listen to the Totally Football shows, we're going to give you a discount code for you to get your first bag from just £1.95. Just head to packedcoffee.com, that's P-A-C-T-C-O-F-F-E.com, create your flexible coffee plan, enter the code TOTALLYFOOTBALL at checkout and your letterbox-friendly packed coffee will be with you in no time. So that's packedcoffee.com and TOTALLYFOOTBALL at the checkout. Now, bear in mind that code's only valid for new customers creating a new plan. So get on it. Packed coffee, the coffee you want when you want it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. Brilliant to be joined by Hull City manager Grant McCann. We've spoken to Mark Bonner, we've spoken to Dean Holden, and now we get to talk to a manager towards the top of League One. And two days after a 3 1 win from behind at Bristol Rovers, Grant, that was a game in which all three of your substitutes scored to come from behind and win 3 1. I'm sure you'll be modest, but that's got to be a pretty good feeling when the guys you choose to send on win the game for you. Yeah, of course. It's a it was a nice feeling for us. Um, something I've not um, experienced before, and I don't think many people have when three subs come on and all three score. But it was a it was a good game. You know, I thought we played well in the game. Bristol started very well. Um, the first 15, 20 minutes pressed us high, got about us. Um, we struggled a little bit, but I think after that we we got in control of the game. You know, in, in the second half we we upped it a little bit. We we upped the ante. We were, we were much more aggressive in our press. We were better with the ball. Um, and like you say, it was really pleasing to see the impact of Tom, Regan and Kino when they come on to, to win us the game. It's always difficult to know where the expectation line is set for teams that get relegated into a league. But so far, so good. You've played nine, you've won seven, 21 points and currently sitting in, in second position. Fair to say you'd have you'd have taken that before a ball was kicked? I think so. I think so. I mean, we were disappointed Um Last weekend, uh, the Peterborough game, I thought we it was probably the best we'd played um, this season. And for us to come away with, with zero points was frustrating for us. The Fleetwood game, we didn't deserve anything. We were we were second best, three outs, and didn't get going, really. But in all the games, I've been pleased. There's been different ways with one games um, this season. Bristol was no different. Um, and it's it's a tough division, as, as, you, as you're well aware. You have to be... You have to be on your guard every week um, because if you're not, you can get punished. So we're really pleased with the start and, and hopefully it can continue. Grant, it's been such a positive start after a difficult second half of last season. I suppose that the first half of 2020 um, on and off the pitch, of course, with the the, the stoppage in football as well and, and relegation suffered after losing some key players in January. Uh, there was, as there always is, some some speculation as to whether you would stay at the club. That's got to be a difficult part of, of being a football manager. Uh, when did you know that you had the, the full support of the board and could start looking forward to, to putting the team together for this campaign? Last season was, was difficult for us all. I think we, we started the season very well. I think in New Year's Day, we are goal difference outside the playoffs in the championship um, we beat Sheffield Wednesday away I think it was 1-0 January kicked in we lost obviously Camille and Jared we had about 12 injuries um, to, to key players uh, our form had a little bit of a dodgy spell um, which coincided with obviously the lockdown and us coming back from from that it got worse for us um, we, we, we had four or five players that didn't want to play 
two in particular was our captain and vice captain, which was annoying for us. Um, so everything happened last year. There's a lot of stuff went on, but the owners have been firmly supportive of me and my staff. And we understand last season what happened after Christmas was not good enough for many of us. But like I said, straight after the game against Cardiff, I think it may help us this, you know, um, where we can start creating a more together group. There's no big egos. There's no uh, nobody thinking, well... Why is he on that and I'm on this? And, you know, we've brought everything together now and the group's completely cohesive and they want to do well and they want to try and get out of this division this year. And that's what we're all going to do. Quite often on the podcast, when we talk about good young players, we get messages from fans saying, shh, don't tell anyone about him. And I think that's probably going to be <laughs> the case here with Keane Lewis Potter, who's really catching the eye at the moment. Just 19 years of age. He's already scored four league goals and looks to be improving very quickly. Grant, in your playing career and as manager of, of Peterborough, Doncaster and now Hull, you've worked with some pretty special young players, one of whom is now now currently playing out on the wing for West Ham. I mean, how, how does Lewis Potter compare with some of those talents? You're right. I was going to say that, but you've uh, stole my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, he's uh, he's an exceptional talent. It's been an unbelievable ride rise for him, really. You know, when I first came into the club, I was told about how many goals he had got for the, the 23s, the 18s. I think you're talking, I think he had 35, 36 goals for them coming through the season before. I brought him straight in with us, kept him in and around us for about five or six months just to get him used to the physicality of the first team players and and then he just went from there you could just see the transformation in, in his body the way he his persona the way he's come out of his shell a little bit because he was predominantly a quiet boy um and he i just can't speak highly of him you know a really really humble boy who just wants to do well wants to get better he reminds me of a certain player that i brought in from luton when i was at peterborough jack marriott um he's quite similar in terms he wants to play on the shoulder um, can shoot right foot, left foot, can look after the ball. Um, and one thing I think people may underestimate him with, with Keno as well is he's very good in the air. Um, so uh, we're really pleased with his development. We hope he continues to get to get better and we're looking forward to seeing what the, what the future holds for him. He's got an unbelievable leap on him, doesn't he? I remember a game on a Friday night, a Sky game, I think last season, where it may have been his first goal for the club, where he, he seemingly leapt above someone about a foot taller than him. Uh, it, it's not just Keane that's catching the eye. Uh, other attacking players have started the season in really good form. Malik Wilkes, uh, notably, and, and the defensive unit uh, as a group have been excellent as well and kept a lot of clean sheets. I guess what while we've got you on the line, because it, it's fascinating for me to, to talk to managers that there's a lot talked about the relegation hangover and it's a term used by ourselves in the media uh, the performance of many relegated sides suggests that in in some cases it's definitely a factor in others less so it's very difficult to measure there's seemingly no sign of it here of course i guess what i'm asking is what do you understand the relegation hangover to mean you know in reality and and then of course how did you avoid that with this whole side well i think you've seen it over the years where teams can get into that losing habit regardless of what league you're in really i think what was nice for us is that we we had an opportunity to bring in i think we made 12 signings um all very very good characters um, i think one of the first ones that we brought through the door was a an out and out total winner in richie smallwood who knows this division being promoted from this division with Rotherham and Blackburn. Um, when I signed uh, when I signed him and I spoke just before I spoke, uh, signed him, I spoke to Tony Mowbray and he told me that there's, a, there's two pictures of his training ground, big massive pictures on the wall, one of Bradley Dack, who he calls the artist, and one of Richie Smallwood, he calls the warrior. And that, that was 
as soon as he told me that, that, that was enough for me to, to bring Richie into the club. And we built from there and we just brought good characters in, people who know the division, they know what it takes to get promoted. They want to work, they want to they run, they want to try and fight. So that was a big thing in, in terms of our recruitment, as well as keeping the ones that we wanted to keep uh, and going from there. So, yeah, the hangover, um, I think the, the start was good. The, 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 the performance, the result we had at Gillingham helped us. And, and we built from there. I think maybe the Sunderland game where we won on penalties in the cup before that helped us to go into the Gillingham game to win that and, and build from there. Grant, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us on the Totally Football League show, Extra Time today, and all the best to Tile City for the rest of the campaign. Thank you very much. Cheers, lads. I don't know about you, listener, but these days, you know, when you're doom-scrolling through the news on Twitter or you're just bewildered by who Man United haven't signed this week or you're swiping through your dating apps, yes, apps, plural, it can be pretty hard to find the hours in the day to sit down and just learn more. And if you think you don't have the time to develop yourself, you need to check out Blinkist. Blinkist is for anyone who's time poor but wants to be knowledge rich. The app takes the key insights from over 3,000 non-fiction bestsellers and gathers them together in 15-minute blinks, which are text and audio explainers that help you understand more about the core ideas. 12 million people are already using Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in areas like personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness and happiness and I am one of them. I like to get my daily walks in and recently I've been listening to the very excellent and influential Think Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And next up is Mark Manson's New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. You'd hope that one of those two will help me live my best life. Blinkist want to give you a free seven-day trial and 25% off their premium membership. All you need to do is head to Blinkist.com slash athletic. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash athletic. Come on, what are you waiting for? Take out your seven-day trial today and get 25% off at Blinkist.com slash athletic. Blinkist. Big ideas in small packages. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, sponsored by Paddy Power. Right then, barely time to catch your breath at the moment in the EFL as one game week leads into another. Uh, the weekend action starts on Friday night with league leaders in the championship, Reading, taking on Coventry. George and I are going to pick a game each from the three EFL leagues that we think is the game of the weekend. George, in the championship, what takes your fancy this weekend? Well, I think any Barnsley fans listening to the um, recap of the midweek action would be understandably a bit annoyed that we haven't mentioned their 3-0 win against QPR. So here we go. Um, it was a fantastic first win of the season for them. It was a brilliant first win for Valerian Ishmael. We should say that Rob Dickey's sending off early on probably was the turning point in the game with QPR looking quite bright early on. But <clears throat> results like this, no matter what the circumstances, can be so big for a season. And they are now unbeaten in their last four games. And Connor Chaplin... And Corley Woodrow, the two players who were so important to Gerhard Struber's magical escape at the end of last season, suddenly looked like they were really, really clicking. I'm still of the belief that Woodrow is a top championship player. You know, not just a decent one, one of the players who should and could be playing right at the very top level and should be getting uh, attention and interest from Premier League clubs. And he's starting to show that again now. I mean, the, the first goal admittedly was a penalty, but his link-up play throughout and his understanding with Chaplin, so impressive. And early signs under Ishmael are, are good and, and suggest that he you know, has at least got a, an early tune out of this Barnsley side. And they are playing against Watford. 
Watford, another team who have a manager in Vladimir Ivic, who has just joined the club. This is his first season there. And it's a bit puzzling. I'm not quite sure what to make of Watford so far, because even though they have looked like a team who are hard to break down and a team who will pick up a lot of points due to their ability to keep teams largely at bay, I haven't been very impressed with them, if I'm going to be honest. The the one they'll win against Derby uh, on the Friday night a couple of weeks ago was scrappy at best, won by a very good goal from João Pedro. The 3-0 win against Blackburn massively flattered them in, in that game. The one-all draw against Bournemouth was a fairly tight affair, which in which Bournemouth probably created the better chances. Jason Tindall certainly thought so. And then we've already mentioned the Wickham game last night, um, sorry, on, on Tuesday evening, where Wickham, a side who hadn't picked up a point so far this season, looked like the team who deserved the win. Given the players that, that Ivic has got, you know, I've already listed them once this podcast, but just to quickly do it again, on midweek we had... Capu starting, we had Saar starting, we had Jao Pedro starting, and amongst loads of other established Premier League or, or kind of European top league players. Yet they were kind of outmuscled and outperformed by a side who, frankly, I'm not, I'm not going to say lucky to be in this division, but in a normal season last season, probably wouldn't have made it into the Championship. So there are massive concerns for me with this Watford side and in terms of the defensive solidity that's three games without a clean sheet and three games where they didn't deserve a clean sheet it was only a marginal refereeing call that spared them a loss as well so this is a really awkward fixture for Watford and a fixture where they need to return to winning ways or just better performances I think their performances are trending basically in the wrong direction and they're coming up a very up against a very awkward opponent as well so all eyes for me on Barnsley against Watford, another possible banana skin for the away team. I say it's a banana skin and that is reflected in the prices. I think a couple of weeks ago, Watford would have been heavy odds on here, but our sponsors, Paddy Power, have them as the 6-5 to favourites. Barnsley, 23-10 to to get back-to-back home wins. The draw, 21-10. to I'm picking what I think will be the, the best game of football. 3pm uh, kickoff between Swansea and Blackburn. Swans 13 to 10 favourites with Paddy Power. The draw 12 to 5 and Blackburn 15 to 8 to win this one. Swansea off the back of a, a great win in midweek at home to Stoke, who we'd been bigging up after a weekend victory over Brentford, especially as Steve Cooper took the opportunity to rest a few players, to rotate a little and use the squad at his disposal. And I think there are some Good players in reserve for Swansea, as we saw in this victory. Manning played left wing back in the place of Bidwell, who's been excellent this season. Casey Palmer came in and scored the second goal as well. They're up against a Blackburn side with the best striker in the division at the moment. Sorry, Ivan Tony. Adam Armstrong, nine goals in eight games. He is looking insanely sharp. And that Swans back line, who have done well this season, kept a lot of clean sheets, will have to be on well, on best on their best behaviour, on their best form. Um, but whereas Swansea have Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe up top for them, both of them have such good movement, you cannot switch off uh, against Swansea either. This is a, a side that we've seen put in some excellent performances this season, but I'm not sure if they have hit top gear yet or maybe there isn't a top gear. I, I think there probably is, and I think they'll head into this game uh, in good nick. Blackburn are an interesting case at the moment. The top scorers in the league, but sitting in 12th place. I have a feeling that their big wins, two 4-0s and a 5-0 already this season, have slightly overshadowed or maybe drowned out some of the less 
good performances. And two of those three wins in eight games came with the opposition going down to 10 men in the first half. So when it's 11 v 11, Blackburn need to be better if they are going to challenge for the playoffs. This fixture is about as tough as it gets for them, but two good footballing sides with a lot of good attacking talent. I can't wait to see how this one plays out on Saturday. Uh, In League One, George, what are you selecting? I think whenever MK Dons and AFC Wimbledon play each other, it has to be the headline match in a group of fixtures. But it's probably also, in a way, the one derby, the one rivalry where the lack of fans isn't necessarily the worst thing. Such is the history between the two clubs and the ill feeling. Uh, MK Dons are five to six favourites to win this at home. The draw is five to two. AFC Wimbledon 13 to five with Paddy Power. MK Dons favourites here and they're kind of the classic side at the moment where if you just look at the league table and you look at the odds you won't really understand what's going on but they have been so impressive especially at home they are playing beautiful football Scott Fraser again midweek putting in another performance which has him amongst the very very best in this division so even taking aside any rivalries I would say that if you get an opportunity to watch MK Dons at the moment just for their style of play just for the way that they move the ball I, I would definitely recommend it for AFC Wimbledon, this, I mean, it's quite fitting, I would say, that this is their last away game before they return to Plough Lane. It kind of feels like they're going full circle before their journey home. And how much would they love to beat their rivals, to beat this club, um, the, the club they don't like to name, uh, away from home before returning home on Tuesday night against Doncaster? It was a big result for them. Um, their last game at Loftus Road midweek, they beat. Blackpool 1-0 and they're continuing as they always do in this division to to make a mockery of those who think they're going to be out of their depth. It's going to be a difficult one for this. Two very different styles. We can expect MK Dons to, to as they always seem to do, control the ball, control possession, but AFC will look to, to be a threat on the counter as well. It may not be as scrappy as some of the games between these two sides in recent times, but I'm sure there will still be no end to the ill feeling, even without the crowds there. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this one, but looking forward to seeing AFC back at Plough Lane on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on the Doncaster-Lincoln game. I think this is the one I'm most excited about in League One this weekend. Donny 7-5 to uh, favourites with Paddy Power. 11-5 to the draw and 15 to 8 for Lincoln to win what would be their eighth win in the first 10 games if they were to leave with all three points. This is a couple of of dark horses, I think, looking to prove if they can stay the course after such good starts. Lincoln have got uh, nine points more than Donny, albeit having played a game more. So perhaps it's wrong to bunch them together. Lincoln are the side who have shown uh, more of a winning mentality, but Donny have put in plenty of good performances as well. Lincoln, the league lead, is just a well-oiled machine. You spoke about Michael Appleton in the midweek review section. That smashing win against Crew um, really did prove that they are here to stay, I think. They didn't rely on a penalty to win it as well after six pens in eight games previously. And Brennan Johnson was our player of the midweek last episode, and he's still causing all sorts of problems. Donny lost to Argyle, not their best display in midweek, and it was notable how much trouble they had defending down the right-hand side. Danny Mayer of Argyle is who operates in those regions, and that will interest Brennan Johnson, who can play all across the front line, but I dare say 
will enjoy moving into that left-hand channel uh, and having a go at Donny's weak right side of defence. But Donny have won four out of eight so far. Plenty of good performances and performers in there. Both sides have got very strong defensive numbers. So I'm looking forward to an intriguing game that I think will be on a knife edge. I don't see either side running away with it whatsoever. But there are plenty of quality individuals ready to win this one. So Donny against Lincoln, my pick in League One. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. Get a completely free £5 bet on Liverpool v West Ham this Saturday. Claim yours now. Paddy Power. Online exclusive new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Into League 2 now. And Ali, you and I are one of the foolish people around who do our pre-season prediction leagues. There are a few people who do it. Anybody who had both Newport and Harrogate as being amongst the best teams in the division, then I take my hat off to you because I didn't see that coming. But I'm calling it now. Newport v Harrogate is a, is a game between two of the very best sides in this league. Newport currently top of the table. It's impossible to argue with that. Under uh, Michael Flynn, they are just playing some really great football. Attacking football, scoring a lot of goals. Tristan, Tristan Abrams and uh, and Padraig Almond proving to be a brilliant front two. And then Scott Twine, the player in midfield, who just likes to let rip from 30 yards and more often than not, it seems to fly into the top corner. Such an exciting player to watch. Such an exciting team to watch. And then Harrogate. You know, we spoke to Simon Weaver before the season started on this very show. And, you know, I think we expected them to be hard to beat, a tough nut to crack as teams coming up from the National League often are. But again, they are a side who play a really admirable way. They don't give opposition any time on the ball. They look to press at any opportunity. They keep the ball on the deck. They play with, you know, attacking players, normally a front two of Jack Muldoon and Aaron Martin, two physical presences who also offer a goal threat as well. And then John Stead coming on in case they hadn't bullied you enough. It's going to be an interesting game between two sides who are, who are punching above their weight, but doing so on merit. And, and I think we're going to see, kind of really see the the metal of both here. Um, I think as a stylistic matchup, it's going to be really interesting. Neither of them are going to be willing to sit off. They're both going to want to push forward. There should be goals in the game for that reason as well. And just for Harrogate, who who disappointed midweek at home to Stevenage in a game that Weaver himself said they were very much um, underperforming given the way they had been playing. It's going to be important for them to bounce back here. They're eighth in the division currently. I think that's a bit of a false position. I think they're better than that. And we're going to really see in this one, Newport, a very tough team to beat. In terms of the betting, Newport are the favourites at 11-8. to eight. The draw, 23-10. to 10. Harrogate Town, 9-5 to five with our sponsors, Paddy Power. Right, well, I'm also looking at two teams towards the top of the table. This is a mouthwatering clash between Cheltenham Town and Forest Green, also known as El Glossico. I'm not going to apologise for it, <laughs> but I don't love it, but I had to say it. Uh, a lovely 45-minute, 20-mile drive through the Cotswolds for Forest Green, heading from Nailsworth to Cheltenham. And I can't wait to see what happens in this game, to be honest with you. Both sides have won five of their nine games. They're both towards the top of this table. And they're both teams that we really enjoy watching as well. Both teams play three at the back, but, but not sort of 
defense first, if you know what I mean. This is not, you know, sit back, play it long, try and win second balls and just pack the defense. These are quite progressive footballing sides. Mike Duff in charge of Cheltenham, of course, and Mark Cooper's Forest Green, who have always been at the very forefront of sort of possession-based short-passing football in League 2. Not always, I should say, with very good results. I'm not saying that this is a, a surefire way to win at this level, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly different and it's good to watch. And both of them do admittedly have very good defensive records, even if they both play good attacking football and have plenty of ways to hurt teams. I think one to watch for Forest Green certainly is Jake Young. They picked up this young attacking player, 19 years old, from Sheffield United in the summer and it took a while to break into the team, but he's got three goals in his last four games. He's played in a number of different positions. Uh, Cooper's very fluid with the way that he moves players around in different positions during the game here. And yeah, they're just a really interesting side to watch against the Cheltenham team that we have a lot of time for, who are both, well, had the best defence in the EFL last season, but also score plenty of goals. I already think that Cheltenham are a top side for this level based on last season, based on their start this time around. I think they they will be robust in terms of maintaining a high level of performance over the course of a season. So for me, this is a big litmus test for Forest Green, who are showing really good signs to start this campaign. And I can't wait to see how they progress from here. But I just want to see it against the big sides, Cheltenham, before I say definitively that I think Forest Green will certainly be challenging for a top three position. El Glossico on Saturday. Check this one out. It's going to be a cracker. And Paddy Power have priced it up as follows. Cheltenham, the home side, six to four favourites. Forest Green, 17 to 10. And the draw, 23 to 10. Not a lot to split these sides. It's going to be a cracker at the Johnny Rocks Stadium. Do make sure you're subscribed to this feed. That way you'll be able to hear the reaction of the guys on the Totally Football League show on Monday, reacting to whatever crazy goings on we experienced this weekend in the best leagues in the world. Thank you for joining us this week. Let us know what you thought about our picks in midweek, who we missed and who we got right. We need to put ourselves on ice for a few days, it's fair to say, because the weekend will come and go. We've got another set of midweek fixtures next week. That's what we'll be discussing on next week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, sponsored by Paddy Power. Join us then and have a good weekend. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.